Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 327. We follow sort of the bottom line change principles and um, really try to think through what we're doing and get buy-in and create good plans, um, have a good vision for what we're doing, um, and really kind of uh, include our staff in changes that we make. But also at a bigger level, we include our staff in the finances of the business. We do open book management. Christine and I can't do it all ourselves. We don't know everything that's happening. And if we can get buy-in from our staff on the financial side and the you know, system side, we can uh, use their knowledge and expertise to help us improve. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you gotta do is click the tipsy banner in the show notes get on it are you opening a restaurant and stressing out with where to start or perhaps you've already opened your restaurant and you're finding yourself completely overwhelmed with the day-to-day task that only you know how to do if you feel this way i've got good news you don't have to do it alone nor should you regain control of your business and your life with restaurants owner.com and if you go to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable you will get a 10 day pass for only one dollar get on it with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guests joshua culp and christine i practiced saying your name before we did this but i'm gonna give it a shot uh i meant to ask you before we hit record sikowski there it is. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Crushing it. So uh, tell me, Joshua, Christine, are you two feeling unstoppable today? <laughs> I feel unstoppable all the time. Yes, you got to be. I'm saying it. You, you got to be because it's just one of those industries. I think if I were stoppable, that that would cause some problems. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if I stopped, um, it might be a very long nap. You know right. I mean? <laughs> All right. So Joshua and Christine are the chef partners behind Honey Butter Fried Chicken located in Chicago, Illinois. Since 2013, Honey Butter Fried Chicken has believed in awesome ingredients, stellar service, and strong community. They also believe that you should feel good about your food, where it comes from, how it's prepared, and how it's served, and by whom. I love it, guys. Uh, just scraping the surface about who you are and what you're all about. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you guys have for us? Uh, my mantra is be generous and helpful. Mm. That's it. When we have new people who start working here, um, and they know nothing because they just started working here. I tell them if they don't know what to do, just be generous and helpful. 
it's, um, we just try to kind of, I try to bring that to everybody that I'm working with and we try to, I think, make it sort of part of the ethos of the business is to really take care of each other. And, and by generous, that really means to me, go, go beyond what is just sort of basic expected um, and do it without any strings attached um, and be helpful. Make sure you're adding value and making people's lives and days easier, not harder. I have nothing to add to that. Christine, what do you got? Um, I don't know if it's a mantra, but it's my favorite quote. So it's uh, by this artist named Austin Kleon, and it's uh, all advice is autobiographical. It's basically saying that any anytime somebody's giving you their opinion or, or advice, it's it's really based on their own experience and what they would be telling themselves in that current situation. So it's great to have people's opinions and um, advice and and and, and um, consideration and um, viewpoints, but ultimately you kind of have to make the, your own decisions for yourself um, based on your own life. And most people are pretty much giving you advice based on their own life or what they would tell themselves or what they would have told themselves in the past. So it's a little biased. So you kind of have to make a decision about how much you're actually going to listen to that. Yeah. I love it. No, I mean, you're always looking for data. You're always looking for information to, to make decisions. But at the end of the day, I think you got to pay attention to what you feel and what's important to you. Uh, So don't let other people's uh, opinions or beliefs sway what's what matters to you. That's what I got from that. And I loved it. Both of these mantra quote, beautiful way to get things going. Uh, I guess let's start with Joshua. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got into the industry. Uh, let's see. That's a, that's a big question uh, <laughs> about myself. Let's see. I, I uh, started in the industry. I'll start with the industry. Um, I started the industry as a teenager in working as a pizza delivery driver um, towards the end of high school. Um, and, you know, I really have always enjoyed eating. That's sort of been a real, you know, nice passion, passionate side project for me. When I was a kid, I did the, the kid thing to do. and made, you know, green cookies and like to bake things, with lots of sugar in them. Um, I've always been kind of a big flavor sort of guy. Um, and even as a child, I always really liked very, powerful flavors. Um, not as long as they weren't vegetables, I liked them. Um, <laughs> I'm a child, although I do love vegetables now. Um, but I think, uh, I never really considered food as a career. I was very drawn to, um, social activism and politics, um, and studied that in college. During college, I worked in restaurants. I worked in a nursing home cooking. Um, and then I also, I uh, was part of a collectively run coffee shop. Um, which kind of got the bug for um, business running going there. It was a really cool experience. It was a collective, so it ran a consensus, which is not exactly the easiest thing to do um, with 10 or 12 people. But uh, I did that uh, for a couple of years. Um, There was a food component to that cafe, but I really liked the action and business of restaurants. But again, I didn't think of that as a career. And after college, became a fifth grade school teacher. Um, in New York. I taught in the Bronx for three years. Um, lots of exciting things happened when I lived in New York. Um, one of which was 9-11 amongst other uh, unpleasant things that happened and kind of had a, one of those moments you see in movies where you rethink what you're doing through time. Um, I love teaching. I love the kids. I love the challenge of the work, but I really was drawn towards food. found myself cooking all the time, um, thinking about ingredients, shopping for ingredients, and eventually left teaching to become a line cook. Um, 
So I walked, I went, moved back to Madison, Wisconsin, where I went to school, got a job as a line cook, um, worked uh, there, worked for various odd jobs, went to culinary school, um, and then uh, started the Sunday Dinner Club, which we can tell you more about in detail. But that sort of brought me to this this point. Awesome. And that's where you met Christine. So Christine, I guess, tell us how you got to that point. Um, I uh, had always worked in restaurants, um, with the exception of my first job. My first job was in a record store, uh, and I spent all my money on music and records and CDs. So we stopped doing that job because I was like, I have to get a job where I won't spend all my money. Uh, and so I got a job as a barista and a coffee shop and sort of never really left, uh, the restaurant business at that point. Uh, I just was serving and bartending all through college and um, with the goal to get out. I didn't really see it as something that I uh, wanted to stay in, although I really liked it. Um, it was just, it was always something that I thought was like, this is what I'm doing to pay my way through school. Um, when I graduated college, I uh, got a job working for a wine distributor because I thought that's not the restaurant business. Um, <laughs> but really, it's just one one step beyond it. Um, and I was really drawn to the food aspects of pairing wine with food and, and, and tastings and, and learning about winemaking. And so through that, I really um, became quite fond of cooking and farmers markets and just sort of cooking on my own and just became obsessed with, with food and realized that, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and be in that industry. And that's just what I'm going to do. <laughs> So it kind of was the, I call it the path of most resistance. Like I really was in denial about it for, I'm still in denial. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I decided at 27 to leave my job and uh, go to culinary school. And um, that's where I met Josh. Awesome. Uh, So you guys met in culinary school. Um, I just want to know one thing I like to get uh, from my guests when I have them on the show is when they knew. When was the? Can you bring it back to a time specifically, Josh? When you knew that you were going to have a career in hospitality? Uh, what I knew. Let's see. I mean, I think um, you know, in New York, I like I said, I was teaching, and I, I just started. I got really obsessed with cooking just on my own, and yeah. the kiss of death for most people who like cooking is when they start to think they want to do it as a career. Um, <laughs> they, they usually do it for like a month or a week or even worse. They go to culinary school and then realize they wasted all this money on something that took all the joy out of it for them. Um, but, you know, fortunately I had some food cooking experience before this happened. So I had a little bit of a sense of what I might be getting myself into. Um, but I, you know, had a couple of experiences in New York. One, um, I cooked my way through a book by a woman named Marcella Azan. She's like a, you know, an Italian grandmother who wrote cookbooks and just really beautiful, simple stuff. Um, and I remember making sheets of pasta to make a homemade lasagna with like, you know, 20 layers in it and realizing I just, I was really loving what I was doing, but also more than that, I was in, I was really in the moment in a way that I am normally not, um, and really, found that to be very um, cathartic for me and realized that I should probably move towards this. Awesome. Uh, the, the essence of this question, what I'm looking and you're getting there, you're, you're scraping the surface right now is why do you love this work? I think it's so important that we need to know what it is about this work that we love about it. So for you, why, why do you love it? 
Is, is it that essence of doing the work? Yeah, so it's that essence. I mean, there's, there's the thing about our work is that it's not just cooking. So um, that's step one. You know, uh, I love the cooking part. Secondly, I, I had a meal in New York at the Gramercy Tavern um, that was just an incredible experience, and I was able to sort of see it as an experience. Okay. Where with the choreography of the servers and the placement of the tables and the way that the food came out and the way that the menu is set up and um, there's so many aspects and variables um, that can be manipulated and controlled um, to present and provide an experience. Um, and, and obviously, there's also all this sort of serendipitous stuff that happens that's maybe less controlled. Um, but if the spirit of generosity is there, and, and uh, I think it can become a magical sort of experience. And I was just drawn to that. Awesome. Um, and I wanted to, you know, I think what our jobs have transitioned to is we, we still cook but we also make thousands of decisions and, you know, from payroll to um, where to place the menu in the dining room. And I think all of those decisions, there's an art to all of them and they kind of come together to provide something that's very unique um, and experience for our customers and our staff and our employees and our vendors that is, you know, one of a kind, which is, which is really cool to be a part of. I love it. Christine. So bring us back. When did you know, that this was going to be your career. It sounds like you're still in denial, but have you started <laughs> yeah. to accept it a little bit at all? I'm like, I own a restaurant. Shit. <laughs> um, so I, I think I knew when I decided to go to culinary school, it was, I think I, I was, I, like I said, I think I was in denial about it before that because I kept trying to get out of it. Um, and then realized that I, the thing that I really love about it is I like bringing people together. Um, and having like experiences, meaningful experiences in the present. And so whatever form that takes, um, and food is a really, certainly a really good um, vehicle for that. Um, everybody loves to eat and food definitely brings people together. So if I could do some work that did that, then I think I would be, uh, I would have a meaningful life. And so going to culinary school probably shifted that. It was like, okay, well, I'm going to cook now. But really it meant like I'm going to work in hospitality I'm going to serve in some way. Awesome. Uh, it's sort of taken shape over the years. Yeah. So you two met at uh, culinary school. Um, friendship formed. Uh, let's fast forward to maybe some. Was there a time when you knew you were going to be working together? Like, how did the business relationship come together? Um, we, Josh and I were friendly in culinary school. We, um, we had a really small class of like 10 people and we were all career changers. So everyone was kind of a little older and wiser. Uh, and uh, so we, we really, um, we read about this uh, idea of underground restaurants and right, right probably in the middle of culinary school and had discussed how cool we thought that sounded and, and what a fun thing that would be to do and sort of kind of forgot about it. Uh, for you know a few months and finished school and then as we were graduating we're like you know we should try to we should try to do something like that on our day off like it could be cool to throw like a dinner party and like do a multi-course meal and serve it to the guests and just be a part of the experience and so we made a plan like a few months later to actually do it um so i think that that i don't think at that point like i didn't know what it was going to turn into but we just started doing them once a month um, on Sundays. And I, I would say like, I probably knew about a year into it. I was like, Oh yeah, I think we're going to like, this is actually going to be something. Okay. Cause I, I, didn't, I didn't know at first I was like, it's cool, but like, I don't know how long we're going to do yeah. it. And so um, when did you graduate? I'm curious. 2005. Okay. 
So uh, from 2005 to 2013, eight years had elapsed uh, between graduating, starting the the is it the dinner club? Is that Sunday dinner club? Sunday dinner club. Um, how did the evolution of that go? I, I think this is a really great conversation to have right now because I feel like so many people they they don't understand the power of scaling or trying just starting where you can and figuring it out, uh, finding your niche, finding your passion. And just growing something over time. So it sounds like you guys are a perfect example of what can happen if you just start where you can and grow something yeah, over time. We failed a lot along the way. We <laughs> we you know we we started with the Sunday Dinner Club, and that's been like the constant. Like that hasn't changed. Um, but we kind of dabbled in other um, arms, I guess you could say, away from that that center spoke. Um, you know, we did some catering and we did a, like a, like de- food delivery to packaged food to cafes. And, you know, we had a granola bar line for a little bit and we were, we sold burgers at the green city market and we sort of dabbled in all these other kind of aspects of, of cooking and food service and having a food business. And, um, you know, a, a bunch of them, you know, I mean, I, I hate, I hate to say failure, but they just, they didn't work out for whatever reason. Not that we weren't like good at cooking, but just because we didn't weren't passionate about it or just, it just wasn't a great business or we didn't know how to scale it or we just weren't interested or, you know, so along the way, we kind of tried a bunch of different stuff while we were building Sunday dinner club. And I think that that, that's really important because like we weren't, everyone's like, you're so successful. And we're like, it's been 12 years. <laughs> we just got successful. Like we, we spent a lot of time in the trenches and, um, and I think almost purposefully, it's like we were very slow to open honey butter. We opened honey butter, uh, seven and a half years into our business. Like, um, we had an established clientele, so that helped already. Um, but we, we've been kind of slow, I think half on purpose and half just because of life yeah but that's really cool so it sounds like you guys started the, the sunday i don't know why i'm struggling to say this, sunday sunday dinner club um as kind of like just a hobby or something you're interested in something that you think that would just be fun it sounded appealing and uh start kind of sounds like almost like a hobby at first uh with, and you kind of over time decided that maybe there might be something to this and you had decided projects going Anything I else? Just to, can i just add on to that yeah, real please. quick um you know, we charged money for it right after that. Okay. Um, so it was definitely, it was not a full-time thing initially. Um, and it was really only just on Sunday initially. It's now, uh, we still do it to this day. It's now um, not just Sunday. We do it many days of the week. Um, we do dinners 10 to 15 times a month, actually. So um, I think let's talk about that. I want to dive into how you got that going because I feel like there might be a lot of people out here listening to this who want to start their career and they're looking for their way of breaking in. This might be a good way to sharpen your teeth or to at least figure out what your passion is like you guys did. Yeah. So, so what do you, various, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to ask, like, what do we need to know? Like, How should we start? If you could go back and do it again, like, how would you start uh, this dinner club? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I mean, I think we, we really tried to build community from the first day. So I think the real secret to Honey Butter Fried Chicken success is that we um, had this sort of built-in community connection with hundreds of people because we'd already cooked them dinner. Now, not everybody has the time to do that um, or the years to give, but I think if you really want to build something that lasts, you need to have really good bones and you need to really um, – you know, put in that time. I think there's so much energy now in flipping businesses. Um, 
and getting something really hot and quick and then selling it off for millions of dollars. We, we never had that intention, still don't have that intention. Um, the idea was to build a life for ourselves that we enjoyed and we really enjoyed cooking dinner. Um, and we needed people to serve it to. So we called our parents and our friends and our families and said, you guys want to come over for dinner? We're going to cook this cool meal. We're going to go to the farmer's market. And we just did what we loved initially that way. You know, we funded it by taking money from the people who came, but they loved it. Um, it was a really great experience. And so we added another dinner and then we added another dinner and we started to gradually add names to a mailing list. Um, kept it only through word of mouth. Initially we were, kind of renegades um we very quickly realized that we loved it so much and we're starting to get requests to do things like catering that we had to kind of get a little more legitimate we started to rent a commercial kitchen um you know at that point we just added as we went we incorporated in 2005 you know we got liability insurance you know then we suddenly needed an employee you know because we had enough dinners to hire a dishwasher so we got workers' comp insurance, you know, all these little things as we went, we just started adding on. Um, and before we knew it, we had a business. Um, and before we knew it, we were doing more and more of this stuff. And we really loved the dinners. And as Christine alluded to, we kept trying to find other things to do to support our love of the dinner club. Um, but I think all the while, what we were really building was this community. Um, and we were also honing our skills. I mean, we were, one of the cool things that we've done is, Christine and I have cooked hundreds of menus. We don't really repeat menus at Sunday Dinner Club. Our, we have a vast sort of um, repertoire at this point, and um, it's been an amazing journey to be able to learn and cook so much food um, over the years for so many different people. Wow. I love how you guys set this up, and there's so many takeaways from this. Uh, first, just starting with what you're passionate about, starting with making it about feeding your own hunger for doing yeah. what interests you because if we're going to have the endurance to really go the long run or the, the long haul in this industry we got to enjoy what we're doing um, which is so important and then just the idea of starting where you can is so important like you don't have to have that 150 seat restaurant tomorrow start where you can today and make an impact starting with what you guys did your friends and family and then they probably brought some of their friends more and people started learning about it. You started collecting data, this email list. And over time you've developed this small tri tribe. And that was your launch pad for honey. Wait, <laughs> I was going to say honey, butter, fried chicken. Uh, and you guys just had that place to start. It's there's so much to take away from this experience. Uh, is there anything I, I missed that you think are were, were key points that up to this point really need to be, you know, brought forward? Um, I think you hit them. I mean, I really think that you're, you're right with your synopsis there. I think um, we were really obsessed with quality um, and making the experience, you know, it feels very authentic. It's not fancy, Sunday Dinner Club, but we make sure that, you know, there's, you know, that the food is really good. We make sure that we, we go out and do a lot of engagement in the dining room. We, we talk to people. Most of our friends are people who come to Sunday Dinner Club. A lot of our business relationships are people who come to the Sunday Dinner Club. Um, so it, it really became our social life and it just really kind of became in sync with, with what we were doing with our time and our days was also our work. I mean, I just can't help but think of the word impact when you when you start small and you, you do it for the right reasons, you're in this work for the right reasons. You can really make an impact on people an imprint on people. Um, and that imprint, that impact is, can be so 
impactful, <laughs> I guess, for lack of a better word, in the long run, just building like these relationships, like you said, uh, so important. I'm curious, did you guys ever try doing a pop-up? Did you ever try? Was that something you tried during this time of different things? You said you had the granola, the, the farmer's market. I think our whole life is Our pop-up. whole life is <laughs> pop-up. been doing pop-ups since 2005. Yeah, so all of these vendors are essentially pop-ups. Okay. Um, so spaces, but even now, I mean, we do more formal pop-ups where we do pop-ups in breweries and we were just in Detroit this past weekend doing a couple pop-ups at restaurants there um, just to kind of get out there and, and check out some other cities. So, Man, I would love to just pick your head on pop-ups because I got a lot of questions yeah. about people like, how should I start a pop-up? Do I need to know about insurance? What's that? Hire a dishwasher. Okay. <laughs> like, um, you need one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how are you guys selling tickets? I'm curious about that too. We used uh, PayPal first. No, at first we passed well, a Well, the first two years we passed a, a all plaid pot around the table and asked for donations <laughs> nice. from buying the pot and then quickly realized that that was not going to work for us long term. We wanted to be a legitimate business. Okay. So we started using PayPal. We would send PayPal invoices, and then um, now we use a system called Talk, which yes. is yeah. So we use Talk now. Awesome. Uh, the uh, founder of Talk might be coming on the show real soon. Oh. I don't jinx yeah, him. totally. He's great. So real quick, uh, Nick. Nick, can you say his name for me? I, it's like Saconis. Saconis. Thank you. I'll edit this part out. Nick, <laughs> Nick Saconis. Yeah, might be coming on the show. And uh, how does Talk work? How is that different from say Open Table or Reserve or other uh, reservation platforms? I don't know. I'm not totally sure. I I think we like the it's it seems to be pretty user friendly, and we can kind of. Um, curtail it to our needs. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like you're buying a ticket to a concert. That's the best way I can describe it. It's like you go on the site and you, you not, you don't make a reservation. You buy a ticket. Okay. That's all, yeah. Sorry. And that's it. And if you, if you want to trade your ticket, you just it's basically the same as if you buy a concert ticket, like yeah. whatever, if you decide you can't go, you got to give it to somebody else or sell it. Yeah, that's that's my impression of it. It, it goes off that ticket that ticket structure, which yeah. uh, is very unique and perfect for pop up situations like this. So yeah. if you well, are, really, go ahead. One thing that's really cool about it is that it, um, I think we were drawn to it too because it's very uh, user friendly and it is not unlike buying concert tickets or baseball tickets. It's not cluttered with advertisements and flashing lights and you know it's like it's very clean, um, easy experience for us and for our customers. And it's also a very fair business model like they charge um i what i think is a very fair amount i feel like when we looked at the others there's just a lot of what felt like shenanigans going on um trying to i don't know everything feels a little seedy sometimes in this industry and it's nice when you find products that are just here's what we offer here's you know how we're improving it over time and, and here's how it looks for your customers and there's no string that's on the other side basically yeah Awesome stuff. So let's talk about how you guys came across this concept of honey butter fried chicken. How did this all come together and like put a timeline to it so we can kind of uh, understand the uh, evolution of it all? I think it started in 2009. Okay. Um, we, we used to serve fried chicken at Sunday dinner club. Um, before it was honey butter fried chicken and we did a yearly fried chicken dinner. And, uh, one year we had, uh, served it with a corn cake with like a Johnny cake with fresh corn in it and honey butter on it. So that was the side dish. 
Um, and at the time, you know, we'd serve the main course to our guests, um, came back in the kitchen, played it up like a little family meal, like a little mini version of the course, and all kind of sat down on the back porch and ate it while our guests were eating it in the dining room. And the honey butter had gotten melted all over the chicken uh, on the okay. plate. And we just, we ate the chicken and we're like, oh my God, this is like the greatest flavor combination of all time. Uh, like who would have thought melted honey butter on spiced fried chicken is delicious. So we ran onto our dining room and told the guests to put the butter on the chicken instead of the corn cake and everyone loved it. And I, and I think at that point we we're like, well, we can't, ever serve fried chicken without honey butter at this nice. point. Like, we got to move forward with this because it was so delicious. Um, and we did that for another year um, before we're like, hey, no, I think it was two years, actually. About maybe maybe one to two years where we're like, maybe we should open a fried chicken restaurant. Fried chicken. We, so we, just so you know, Christina and I at Sunday Dinner Club, I may have mentioned it earlier, our menus change kind of every month. Um, so we might do Thai food one month, we might do Italian food one month, we might do just seasonal spring, you know, new American kind of cuisine. And then one of the menus was fried chicken that we would do for a month. Um, and we kept kind of coming back to it, as she said. So not only were you uh, discovering and really trying to hone in on your passion, but you're also testing recipes and trying new things and really just like not like going lateral, but also going deep on these recipes and getting them better and better every time, which I think is another huge lesson to starting small and scaling up like that. Yeah, absolutely. Which so is, we, we're still to this day are testing stuff up constantly. That's awesome. I love it. About one pizza every day just to test it out. So the whole honey butter fried chicken thing kind of started as a mistake. You roll with it, you try new things and then eventually just start getting better and better to the point where you're like, we should really make this into a business model. How did that like take us to that point where like taking us from going to a, a like a, a continuously, re, I guess, evolving pop up to a brick and mortar? Like, what was that experience like for the two of you? It's long and slow, <laughs> <laughs> somewhat painful. No, I mean it was fun. We it was fun. we um, Christine and I opened Honey Butter with two other business partners who were graphic designers. Um, and the four of us kind of came together to really kind of push um, this concept. I and mean, we we searched for about, you know, probably, what, 18 months to find a location once we kind of made the decision to do it. But in the time that while we were sort of planning to open, we did a ton of planning. Um, and we did a ton of more pop-ups and buzz kind of really building things. We did pop-up tastes of our fried chicken. Um, we... Uh, once we finally found the location, we kind of teased the logo and the branding um, and sort of built buzz. And also because we were doing Sunday Dinner Club, we had this built-in following of thousands of people who were kind of excited that we were opening a real brick-and-mortar restaurant. Um, we also did a lot of training. Um, we went to Zingerman's in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, took all of their training classes, um, really spent a lot of energy and time thinking about the business we wanted to run and the place we wanted to be in every day. Um, and for us, that really kind of came down to making sure that our staff is happy. Um, Christine and I have worked in the industry and we've part of the reason why we started Sunday dinner club is because we wanted to really enjoy our day and our lives and what we were doing for a living. So we really tried to set out to make honey butter a good place to work. Um, and that's, you know, always that's always a work in progress. It's something we work on to this day. Um, but 
we're very committed to making sure and both that our, we put our money where our mouth is, our staff is well compensated and has great benefits, um, but also that we are very conscious of how people are doing in respect of time, respect their energy and their interests and help people grow and move through the business and just try to make it a very positive workplace. Yeah, I mean, I I can't put enough emphasis on the fact that you did this slowly on your own schedule and did it right the first time. I, it reminds me of the saying, if you don't have time to do it right the first time, then what makes you think you're going to have time to do it again? <laughs> like, yeah. uh, Take your time, do it right, uh, get the get the training, invest in the influence of other people who have become successful, like you guys did with Ari in Zingerman's. Um, yeah beautiful stuff. And I mean, what were some of the, the things that you pulled from that training that you probably wouldn't have, uh, gathered if not for the training? Oh God, I don't think we would have our business be as successful as it. I don't, I don't know if it would have been as successful. I don't even know if we'd still be here. Get specific. Like what, what key things stand out to you that you got from that experience that are just really, uh, leaving an imprint on you to this day? I think that it's the, the idea of having, you know, systems and culture for me. It's like we had, we wanted to, we knew that to have a successful business, we had to have both. We had a really, really good systems and a lot of which we heavily borrowed from Zingerman's in the beginning, um, making sure that our orders were correct and that our, our handling customer service complaints and, and how to handle, uh, how to give good customer service and how to greet people and, just all these systems that you don't think that you need until you need them. And we were able to kind of have those from day one, which was very helpful. Um, But also making sure that our culture was healthy and that our employees were healthy and happy. And we knew that we kind of needed both. And we got that from Zingerman's. Um, Yeah. They've done a lot of leadership training. We've done some um, management training there and how to manage ourselves better and um, how to be good servant leaders and um, be helpful and, and generous with people. But I think that that making sure that we had those two things, cause they're very different. But if you, one of them is out of sync with the other, like the business doesn't work. They kind of need to dovetail mm. perfectly to have a successful business. So that's what I think. I don't know. I got out of it. That's what I got out of it. Yeah. I think just being, and also just being very thoughtful and intentional about what we're doing. Um, I mean, I, I talked to a lot of friends in the industry. There's a lot of passion in, in the food business. And there's a lot of impulsive stuff that happens, both, you know, just on a day-to-day, but also business-wise. And I think, you know, we really try, and we're not always successful. We really try even very small decisions to really think through what's the purpose um, and, and how we're going to get there and how we're going to get buy-in. Um, they teach us this thing called bottom-line change um, that gives you kind of a template for how to make change in the workplace. Change is hard. You know, change is the, the hardest thing. Even when we do very positive things, people can be very resistant, resistant to change. Um, and we're always changing because we're always kind of tweaking and trying to improve. Um, and if you meet resistance every time you try to make a tweak, um, that can become exhausting and frustrating very quickly. It can lead to a path where people... You know, you can lead to a very authoritarian path where you're just like, it's just easier to yell at people and tell them what to do and make them do it or fire them kind of thing. And that's not the place we want it to be. And um, it also just makes you want to pull your hair out. So we follow sort of the bottom line change principles and um, 
really try to think through what we're doing and get buy-in and create good plans, um, have a good vision for what we're doing, um, and really kind of uh, include our staff in changes that we make. But also at a bigger level, we include our staff in the finances of the business. We do open book management. Um, we share all the financial data and, and do that because we feel like um, educating our staff on financial literacy and getting them involved in the running of the business helps us run the business. Christine and I can't do it all ourselves. We don't know everything that's happening. And if we can get buy-in from our staff on the financial side and the you know system side, we can uh, use their knowledge and expertise to help us improve. Just the creative thinking. like We are so creative as human beings. And when we shut off that channel from all these different people that are on our team. We're just, yeah. we're just like, that's energy, potential energy that we're just cutting ourselves off from. It does not make any sense. Uh, the, and, the thing that's really great about what Zingerman's teaches you is it teaches you how to harness that energy, right? Cause we all know it's there, but some, if you don't know how to gra- grab it or how to deal with it, um, it's, it's not useful. Absolutely. You know? uh, absolutely. I love this. And one of the first things that I've, I've, I've never heard this expression before, bottom line, change principles, you started kind of talking about, it. I'm not too sure how deep you got into that. Um, but just recently, uh, reading a book, a huge fan of, um, of course the name's going to escape me real quick. Uh, uh <laughs> the book is like on my shelf right there. This is, this is great. That was a brain fart and a half. Let me tell you, Seth Godin, uh, was, he wrote this book. It's kind of like a book of just how to think and how to, to progress and get you in the right, the right mindset. The book is, it's called, um, what to do when it's your turn, uh, by Seth Godin. And it's always your turn. And he, he covers this whole idea of, of embracing change and knowing that when you feel uncomfortable, like that's that, that area of tension is where you want to be. And you mentioned that it's also good to be aware that this area of tension can really also drain you. So I'm yeah. curious, like, where do you draw the line of constantly leaning into that tension? Because that's where you grow. That's where you learn. And knowing when to take your to take it off a little bit so you can, like, recover. Is that what's is that covered at all in that whole concept of bottom line change principles? Or do you want to... I think that, it's covered in... Uh, did I just yeah, I think it's covered more by <laughs> managing your own energy and how it affects your work. I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've learned that lesson the hard way. I know I certainly have, where I like go too, too hard, too long, too fast. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you got to ease up because you're going to collapse. But I think now we're probably, we are a little bit more experienced and we kind of know the business a little bit better and um, have a better sense of like our own health and energy and, and mental energy and emotional energy and physical energy just kind of you kind of learn that the hard way and we were lucky enough to be like hey maybe there are some times where we just like we gotta we gotta slow it down a bit because we need to catch our breath and you know if we're not strong the business isn't going to be strong mm. so and that trickles down like if we're tired everyone else is tired yeah. if we're healthy and rested everyone else is healthy and rested so we gotta set uh a positive example and, and, and showing them like, Hey, like it's really important to take vacation and we give everyone paid time off here because we don't want them to not take time off and then have to worry about paying rent. So like, you know, and similarly, if you're sick, like 
don't come to work. Here's some sick days so you can take care of yourself. And I think, you know, we kind of try to do that with ourselves. And, you know, we've been talking about expanding honey butter for a really long time, but it never really seemed like the best time. Like it's like, Oh yeah, we could do it. But it's like, you know, there's a, there's a flow to things and a cycle. And it's like, I think that there's a good time to do things and there's a better time to do things. And yeah, it's always your turn, but sometimes you really get a great turn. You know what I mean? And I think that, uh, I think we try to, in some, in some senses, we've actually learned that the hard way. Like we try to do things too fast or try to move on something when we're not ready and it doesn't work out. And it's like, well, okay, you know, we don't beat ourselves up for it. We're just like, that happened and we made a mistake and we learned from it and we recover really fast. Um, and now we know it's like, well, we kind of have to do our due diligence and that's the, the bottom line change process. It's like, make sure that if you're going to make a big change in your life or in your business that you actually, I mean, that's not to say that there isn't moments of like spontaneity or like, Hey, let's do this. Cause that, that life can't just be planned, but you kind of have to weigh your options a little bit, especially when you're dealing with these with business. Yeah. It's like, well, it's like, let's go through the process of figuring out what it is that we want to do and how to do it best and how much it's going to cost. And then, and then go and do it. It tends to be better for, for business. Josh, any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think, and just to be clear, when we say bottom line change, like Zingerman's, we have three bottom lines. So, um, it's great food, great service and sound finance. Um, so we kind of value all three of those things equally in our business. And I think, you know, what Christine's saying about the spontaneity is true. We make lots of fast decisions as well in this restaurant, but having those three kind of bottom lines gives us um, the, you know, the parameters from which to make decisions. Things have to improve our food if we're going to make do it. You know, it has to improve our service. It has to, you know, be good for our finances, um, if we're going to make that decision. And we can often make those decisions on the fly, but it kind of gives us a, a way, a place to go, a guiding, uh, some guiding principles um, to make our decisions. Um, yeah. so uh, just listening to the two of you talk, kind of what I gathered from that is, yes, we always need to be leaning into that tension. We don't want to lean off of that tension because that's where we grow. But at the same time, be smart about it. Be proactive. Like they say, like when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago, the next best times right now, there's never going to be the perfect time for something, but you don't just necessarily pull the trigger and wish for the best. You take a step back, assess the situation, be proactive, and then put a plan together to embrace that change. So you're not scrambling. Is that kind of, yeah, I, I kind of, phrase it now nowadays is like you don't you don't have to play it safe but you do have to play it smart yeah and don't play it dumb (laughs) because you're especially in business like you're it's not just me and josh like it's not just me on the line here like we have 40 employees we own the building like we have this business that we kind of feel a sense of responsibility to and it's like don't, don't fuck it up. You know, like be smart about what you do. Like, we don't, we take a lot of risks. I mean, we open, we open a restaurant. That's like the biggest risk ever. Yeah. Like we were very thoughtful about the way that we did it. And we knew that there's still a risk, but especially if something like, you know, it's a big risk, like make sure that you're smart about doing, like still do it, but like be smart about it. Yeah. I love it. And, um, 
one thing we kind of skimmed over that I, I want to make sure we get from this story because I feel like it's such a challenge with people. I mean, that limiting challenge of having the budget to open a, a brick and mortar in the brick and mortar in the first place. So, how did you guys go about getting the the finance? Did you get back from banks or did you go to friends and family? How did you pull that all together? Um, a little of each. We had two other partners when we opened that brought a lot of um, uh, financial, you know, money to the table. Um, and we also supplemented that with um, SBA loan. We supplemented that with uh, an equipment loan um, from an equipment company or equipment leasing company. Um, and then, so that's how we that's how we opened. Um, uh, after that, Christine and I are now the sole owners of the business. After a couple of years of working with our partners, they kind of decided that they wanted to focus on their design business. And we, um, Christine and I, kind of figured out how to how to move that next step and we were able to secure SBA funding actually um, to buy the business and the building um, at that time. So right now, uh, and and the reason why we were able to get good, you know, the loan from the SBA is because we kind of had this track record at this point of a business that looked Looked like it was doing pretty good. It is doing yeah, pretty good. People want to give you money when you're doing really yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> when you really need it. Yeah. So were they looking at just the, dr- the track record of honey butter fried chicken up to that point or with the Sunday dinner club as well? Uh, at the bank? Yeah. Everything. Yeah, yeah, the, the bank th- looked at Josh and I personally and all the business that we yeah, had yeah. our, you know, our careers and Everything. They yeah. take everything into yeah. consideration. Just again, just just starting where you can. And if you can show a, a consecutive growth, even if it's like looking at percentages, even if those percentages are pennies to dollars, like as long as there's a percentage of growth, you can sell that percentage of growth, I feel like. Yeah. And, and just start where you can. Uh, get that foundation. Uh, get that impact. Get the, Start developing those relationships. Uh, and people will... Uh, invest in the vision but you got to start somewhere you can't just throw a vision at somebody and be like what do you think um you gotta, like, you gotta buckle in for the long term yeah. too like, you can't, like the food business is so fickle it's like if you want to like burn out real fast like you'll like open three restaurants in one year you know it's like yeah. you gotta decide that this is what you want to do and like i said you kind of buckle in and you're like it's it's a long it's a long-term game it's a slow burn yeah. like you gotta kind of wait it out and, and pick your moves and, 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 you know, nothing's for certain. Like, you know, we have this, we have Sunday dinner club, which is great success. And, um, in terms of us having this amazing community and this beautiful food that we create and we have honey butter, it's a, a tremendous success and, and, um, food and service and also finance it's doing really well. Um, but there's no guarantee that everything that we do is going to, is going to knock it out of the park. So taking the lessons that we learned, along the way and it's like slowly building on that it's like okay well now we're ready for something else and we'll try that and we'll see how it goes and then maybe we'll try something else and and uh and really sort of um try to be smart about it so we can stick around yeah absolutely i don't really want to be like i don't want to own a business for three years and sell it Mm. or like go do something else like like we want to stay in it for a while so we have to figure out how to grow it for the long term I love it. Uh, and you guys mentioned earlier the uh, the different principles you had, which were great food, service, finance, and looking at your your values, your uh, your principles page. I love your principles. I love the emphasis you put on quality and just taking care of people. And just real quick, talk about um, how you overcome this. Uh, maybe some people might have the argument of, 
well, if we have the best ingredients, it's going to be too expensive. And like, how do you sell why it's worth uh, taking the time to do food right? It's it, the biggest key is that it has to be worth it, which sounds like an obvious statement, but um, you know, the food has to be great. Um, and the, the service has to be great and the experience has to be great. Um, we at Honey Butter, like a year ago, I guess now, a little, just over a year now, um, we eliminated tipping in the restaurant. Um, we kind of asked our customers to stop leaving tips um, for our front of house staff and we raised pay in the restaurant uh, to make up the difference. Um, we did that. We made some tweaks on the menu. We raised prices in a couple spots. We cut costs in other spots. Um, we did like a very long, thorough change, bottom line change, where we um, looked at all aspects of the business and figured out how to make it work where we can continue to pay our employees the same or better as when they were getting tips but eliminate tipping. And we could talk, we could do a whole other podcast on no. why tipping is dumb. Um, but, uh, so when, when we eliminated tipping, we told our staff um, our service has to get better, right? So if we want our customers, if they're paying 50 cents more for chicken um, and you know they're not tipping anymore, um, they can't come in and say, oh, remember that when that place used to have good service? You know, we had to get better. You know, we had to provide even a more welcoming experience, a better, uh, more precise experience. And um, we take that to heart across the board. Um, you know, when we opened, there was a lot of comments, not a lot, but there was a certain segment that was making comments that said, that was the best chicken I ever had, that was the greatest service I ever had, and they're ripping us off. Um, you know, and we don't hear that as much anymore. I think as we've gone through time, I think the value, people have understood the value of what they're getting in Honey Butter. We feel like it's a very fair deal. We feel like we've, we price very fairly. Um, and we're part of the way that we price a product is to make sure that, um, we're able to provide 40 really good jobs in our community with yeah. good benefits. Um, and we do a lot of education on that. We do a lot of expl- explaining about, why we don't tip, it gives us a chance to talk to people about um, our company philosophy. I love it. Uh, but mostly, at the end of the day, it has to be worth it. Mm. Awesome stuff. And I just looked for the clock. You guys got 20 minutes before we're going to wrap it up, which leads me to the next question, which is, tell me about a time you fell hard on your ass. Physically or emotionally or mentally? Any example. A time where you just made a big mistake and you learn from that. Uh, take us through it. Uh, <laughs> Josh is shaking his head like, which yeah, one? <laughs> I, I, don't know. I, um, I crashed and burned pretty hard after we opened. Okay. Um, yeah, I did. Like, I, I just, we were going, 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 going so hard on the opening. Um, and it was the most fun. Like, I, I love the opening of the restaurant. Um, my expectation was that we would open and we'd get this huge spike. And then it would sort of plateau a little bit and then kind of ease its way up. Yep. And what happened with us was that we just went like this. Yeah. And, it never, and, it, and it never stopped. There was no... It still hasn't stopped. It actually still hasn't. It hasn't stopped. There's no level yeah, out. Good problems to have. I'm very grateful for that. But, but I... You know, I don't have expectations. You never know what's going to happen. Um, most people expect to not do well. I wasn't expecting to do as well as we did, as fast as we did. Okay. And so I I think that I kind of burned out a little bit right after we opened. And 
uh, didn't really respond really well to it. <laughs> I think I got, I kind of shut down a little bit and, uh, you know, uh, wasn't as, as present as I could have been in my work. And I think, you know, I'm glad that that happened because one, I needed to take a break. So I started taking some time off and, and doing some traveling and trying to figure out like how to balance my life. Um, you know, and, and I kind of learned the hard way. It's like, I made some mistakes and I was really tired and I burned myself out even more. But if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't know like, Hey, you know, you actually need to, that the response to taking time off isn't get on an airplane and go take a two week trip <laughs> somewhere. Like you got to do that, but you can't do it so much. And, and so I really just needed to learn how to balance. And um, I think I've got a better handle on it now, but it was, it was a rough six months so- after that thing. But quickly, because uh, I want to make sure we leave time for the speed round. But uh, what did you? What are you doing differently now that enables you to have that work life balance? Have you added systems? Have you empowered people? Delegation? Yeah, like, what all is it? of that. I think we have great people. Where we hired the right people to help run our restaurant and um, buying our business uh, really helped. I think with us taking control of, of it. Um, I think that my pendulum kind of swung. So I was kind of like doing all, all this stuff and doing a bunch of traveling and trying to figure out my stuff. And then it swung back the other way and I didn't do any traveling or, or anything like for six months. I was yeah. like, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm just going to stay put. I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to see anybody. And so now I've kind of moved back and it's like, I needed to do both of those things to kind of see where the boundaries yeah. are. And it's like, yes, Josh and I, can travel and we can actually take vacation and we can, we just watch the business for each other. We're not married. Um, we're not together. He is married and I'm not. And so we have separate lives outside of work, which actually helps because we can kind of each have separate lives outside of work. And I think just being mindful of like my energy around everybody, I'm still not like perfect. Do you do anything <laughs> well, to, to practice that mindfulness? I'm curious. Sometimes. But I think, no, I figured it out. I figured out, like, I need a healthy balance. Like, I've learned to say no a lot to a lot of things, even if it's stuff that I really want to do. It's like, no, I have to be present, and I have to stay here, and I have to be here for the business. And um, But I also can't deny myself, like, who I am. And it's yeah. like, I need to travel to be whole. Yeah. So I figured, I figured it out. Cool. I'm happy. <laughs> I think everybody's happy. Yeah. Everyone's happy now. <laughs> uh, Josh, anything you want to add to... Uh, no, I mean, I think we could, I mean, I Josh continue. has no failures. <laughs> Mr. Perfect. Lots of, lots of small mistakes, you know, I mean, think of little things that have happened. I think, um, you know, one of the things I think that causes some struggle is um, uh, creating clear expectations. I mean, just always creating clear expectations with, with people, um, whether that's our employees or um, even between me and Christine or our former business partners, I think making sure that, um, you know, you're kind of clear on what everyone's expected of everyone um, so that, um, you know, you can kind of make sure that you're holding up your end of the bargain um, and other people are holding up their end of the bargain. That we see that with a lot of employees at times where, you know, our first thought is not, you know, this person's screwing up. You know, it's uh, maybe we haven't been clear about what we were expecting. You know, uh, maybe they weren't clear about what was expected. Yeah, I love that approach of just if something goes wrong before castrating someone or whatever, what could I have done? That's always, my first thought is always if someone is, even when people are really screwing up at work, our first thought is always, what are we not 
doing to get this person up to speed. Yeah, um, I love it. I love it. Awesome stuff. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn. That never ends. <laughs> but what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn. Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy-to-access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month, and as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the tipsy banner in the show notes. After studying over 300 successful restaurant professionals, I've discovered that to be successful in the restaurant industry, you need skills that go far beyond knowing how to cook. All of our guest mentors are damn near experts on business operations, systems, and culture. That is not a coincidence. That is what it takes to be successful. This is exactly why I tell everyone I know who wants to open a restaurant or is in the restaurant business to get a membership to restaurantowner.com. For only $29 a month, you have access to over 300 templates, including business plans, checklists, forms, manuals, and procedures. In addition, you have countless resources at your fingertips. To join a community that has helped over 40,000 restaurant owners make better lives for themselves, head over to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurants unstoppable listeners you will get the first 10 days for only one dollar again that's restaurantsowner.com slash unstoppable we're back the first question i have for you i guess we'll start with ladies what is your it factor christine a habit a trait a characteristic you believe contributes to your success (laughs) <laughs> clock is ticking uh <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't quit work ethic like, i could be down in the dirt like bleeding and i won't quit I so it. josh you go Water. for it <laughs> oh man i thought i was gonna get the exempt from this question nope. um i think uh being thoughtful about what i'm doing Awesome. Love it. What is your biggest weakness, Christine? I love too much. It's mm, a tough one. It can get you. It's good. It's like a double-edged sword. It's my greatest strength and my greatest weakness, actually. And uh, Josh, what's your biggest weakness? Uh, being thoughtful about everything that I'm doing. Um, I'm kidding. I think sometimes I can be a little bit too... Um, I think I have so many things in my head at times, and I, I, I'm good at seeing the big picture that um, sometimes I, I have trouble being in the moment. Mm. Important to be in the moment. Got you. All right. And one piece of advice on leadership. Take it away, Christine. I believe in, um, in servant leadership, which is bottom up management, which is, you know, the higher up you go, the lower you go. So, um, Josh and I believe that 
we're at the bottom. We're here to serve everybody. We don't dictate from some mountaintop. We are like, we are at the bottom and we're here to serve everybody else. Josh, same question. That way. <laughs> uh, life isn't fair. Um, you know, I think everyone's so obsessed with rules and treating everyone exactly the same. And I think sometimes, uh, Part of being a leader is knowing uh, how to adapt to different situations and different people um, and, and really trying to be equal with your justice and making sure that everyone's, you know, that people are, that there's still just, justice in the world, justice in the world, but that not everyone has the exact same way to learn or needs the exact same path back. All right. Beautiful. And you guys can answer these next few collectively. Um, what is one question or thing you look for when you're trying to find new people, uh, interviewing, asking questions, that kind of thing? Make a first of this one. Um, I mean, I think I'm just really looking for decency. I want people to be um, to, to bring joy to what they're doing, but also just I'm looking for um, that sense of, of decency and respect for for other people. All right. Yeah, I think kindness too. It's like it, it, it's hard to read it. It's hard to articulate how to test for that, but you kind of get a good feel for like somebody's heart and and what their you know passions are and what they're inspired by. But really, it's like we're not looking for a bunch of badasses here. We're looking for people who are kind and generous and thoughtful and helpful and and you know we have a saying in our kitchen where it's like don't be a dick, <laughs> don't be a dick, short and sweet, <laughs> don't be a shithead. We've actually changed it. It's like uh, don't be a shithead. I love um, it. And, and, you know, we kind of, we're not going to hire, we try not to hire shitheads. Beautiful. Oh, man. I love how PR is non-existent in restaurants. It's really beautiful. Yeah, we, you know, <laughs> I'm not getting any complaints from me. Uh, what is a current challenge and how are you dealing with it? A current challenge? Current challenge, how to, how to expand a company while maintaining its spirit and, um, it's, it's without without ruining <laughs> without ruining what we built. I think that's probably a big challenge. How are you overcoming it? We're going very slow. I love it. <laughs> We're being very thoughtful. We're exploring our options and, and trying to make the best decisions that we can for our, our, our company and our people. I dig it. So what is one thing besides food your restaurant does really well that separates you from other restaurants in your community? I think we treat our employees really well. Um, it's a non-abusive environment. Um, we pay them well and we give them benefits and um, really try to be as generous and helpful and kind to them as we possibly can, which makes them feel loved and supported. And uh, I think that they, that they perform better because of that. So we're kind of known for our bad and open book. Probably open book. Yeah, open book management as well. Um, sharing the books with our staff is is magic. Man. Yeah, I mean, I got to do a whole episode dedicated to that topic as well. But yeah, it's a great, it's a great topic. You should. It's I'll, really. I'll, I'll hold back on pulling back the layers right now. Try to try to respect your time. But uh, what is one book that is a must read to make us better restaurant owners or just people in general? Um, I have two. Yeah, in regards to restaurant owners, well, why don't you go first, Christine? Go ahead. I think that uh, uh, Ari's book, Managing Ourselves, is probably the best business book I've read just because it really tackles, like, 
yeah, we have to be organized. Yeah, you have to have systems. But like, if you don't know how to manage yourself, like you're going to fail. Yeah. So I think that people don't address that part of it. Absolutely. Like the business book I recommend to everyone. And then there's this book called Steal Like an Artist that I just think is every creative person should read this book. It's just such a great book about how to be a create, live a creative life. Yeah, I'll tag on with the with the Ari um, Ari Weinzweig's book, the um, Better Leader book. It's the anarchist uh, approach to uh, the last anarchist approach to being a better leader. Yep. Uh, and then his his first of that series was a lapsed anarchist approach to building a great business. Those yeah. three books must be on everyone's bookshelf, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Ari's we a past guest. The leader book to all of our new managers here. Oh man, I, I gotta open. I have. I have to admit, I have not got that third one, or this is the fourth one. Um, well, he wrote. He just wrote another one called um, "Beliefs," and I've, I'm a. I'm a little bit into it, and it is. It's 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 a great book. I can tell, but it is a lot. Yeah. Like you gotta read the other three to yep. kind of. This one, I think. But I mean, just to kind of feed off the book, the first book you mentioned, which was uh, an Eric's approach to being a better leader or leading our managing ourselves, is the one Christine mentioned. Yep. Oh, yeah, managing ourselves. Managing ourselves. Uh, that is now like the the like the purpose of this podcast. Uh, the whole yeah. idea that like, look, if you want to be a great restaurant owner, you got to focus on being great yourself because you well, will. You want to be a good husband. Yeah. Friend, if you want to be a good sister, like whatever you want to be a good community activist, like you've got to be able to manage your own energy. Yes, you got to yes. be a good you first, and uh, no. it's so powerful just that idea and just that awareness of understanding that. And what is one piece of technology you've adopted recently that you're leveraging in your restaurant that's given you a great return on investment, whether it's increased productivity, profitability, efficiency, anything along those lines? Slack. Oh, Slack. And that's yeah. a communi- communication platform, correct? It's yeah. like changed the way that we communicate in 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 like the best way. Possible. Yeah, it's really wonderful. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. So it's just like a messaging platform. Yeah, but it's sort. You know, we're able to kind of sort information um, and really quickly get information to across the team here. Um, and we can have brainstorming sessions. We can discuss any kinds of topics. We can it just eliminates the need for a lot of meetings. It eliminates the need for email. a ton of email. And, every, and, and all the information is sorted by subject. So it's not just one long text thread. It's threads on certain subjects. So you can search by subject, which, is, which has been really helpful. Awesome. And uh, this is episode... 327. So head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 327. I'll have the links uh, to Slack and to those books in the show notes. And you, you mentioned one book. Uh, I know Ari's books aren't on audio, but is Steal Everything on audio? Do you know? Steal Like an Artist? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I wonder if it is. Well, it if it is, head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. You can get that book for free if you're already not an audio listener or audio book listener. And the last question I have for you is with all the knowledge you've acquired over the past eight, nine, 12 years, I think you said it was actually, um, if you could go back in time, back to 2013 and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? <laughs> Maybe start working out and sleeping more. Yeah. Again, not 
Yeah, take better care of yourselves. Take better care of ourselves. Definitely. That's it. Um, I think that's across the board, though. It's not just physically exercising, eating. Yeah, but I think also financially, I think Christina and I, um, you know, we were so passionate over what we were doing that we put a lot of our financial selves on the back burner um, to kind of make it work. Um, we didn't respect our own three bottom lines. Yeah, I wish that we had <laughs> sooner decided to put an emphasis on the importance of, of being a sound business financially, um, being accountable to the business and ourselves. You know, I think we're going to be okay, knock on wood, uh, but we've had to kind of dig ourselves out um, and personally and business-wise just because we, we didn't emphasize it. It's not that we have any magic now. It's just that it's, we consider it just as much as we consider how to cook pasta. You know, and so, how to serve our customers. Yeah. Awesome stuff, guys. If there's one question I could have asked that would have added more value or topic we could have covered that would have added more value, Bill, what would it have been? What is my sign? What is your sign? <laughs> Just kidding. You got to answer it now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I tried to make a joke and all I right. failed. All right. I'll I think let you off. I did all right. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, so we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. That's how I found you. Dimitri from Demos called you out. Thank you, Dimitri. If you're listening to this, shout out to Dimitri. And uh, who do you respect? Who do you admire in this industry and believe would be great guest mentors like you've been for us today? Go ahead. Yeah, I think we were thinking the same person. Yeah, we have our friends, Ben Hall and Jason Murphy, who own uh a business called Russell Street Deli in Detroit, and they're just they've 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 worked at this deli. Well, they've owned it for like ten years, and they've worked there for like twenty years. And the, the deli is like thirty years old. It's a historic um, business in Detroit, and they are really committed to building the community there and rebuilding that city um, and social activism and the way that they treat their employees. And their food is incredible. And you should you should talk to them. They're awesome. Ben Hall, Jason Murphy. I'm coming after you uh, <laughs> and uh, let the folks at home know how can we connect with you if we want to maybe come join your team if we're in the Chicago area or if we just want to come check out your incredible honey buttered chicken what's the best way to connect uh, you can find us on the internet at honeybutter.com and sundaydinnerclub.com uh, all the social media platforms should I give you those do you want those names uh, yeah go for it if you can honey butter cheese chi and Sunday Dinner Chi, C-H-I, and then Christine and I are both on the internet, too. You can find us somehow. We have a really great Instagram. Yeah, go to our Instagram. That's like a great way to stay in touch with our business. If you want to watch butter melting on chicken, go to Honey Butter Chi uh, at Instagram, on Instagram, and you'll have a nice time. All right. This is episode, like I said earlier, 327. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 327. I'll have the links on how to connect, the links, the tools, and serve books recommended in a summary of today's discussion right there josh christine thank you so much for taking the time to join us to make us all a little bit better there is no questioning you are unstoppable one minute to spare we got it in i just appreciate you guys thank you thank you so much this was great thank you boom we're knocking these things out left and right and if you think they're coming at you fast now, guys, we just decided to go to three episodes a week starting in the third quarter, July. Holy crap, I got my work cut out for me, but I love 
every second of it. We get to connect with folks like Chef Josh and Chef Christine. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Great lessons to be learned here. And for me, the big overarching lesson was the idea that you just start where you can. Uh, For these two, it was with the dinner club. And they did what they loved and they made some money at it and they had some side hustles or this was their side hustle, I'm assuming, and they were working probably on the side. But the thing is to start where you can. You don't have to go all in right away. Do what you love. Uh, get creative. Test concepts. Test recipes. Find your passion. Find your niche. And you don't ever know where it's going to come from sometimes. For them, it was a complete accident. Uh, they stumbled upon this incredible fried chicken recipe and it just happened to be a gold mine so um just start try different things you never know what's going to happen but it nothing will ever happen if you don't start there will never be a right time just pull the trigger and then again that whole idea of um taking risk but also being smart about it and uh proactive uh don't put opportunity off don't wait to take risk but do it slowly do it wisely and grow over time like christine mentioned like people always come up to her and they say wow you guys are so successful how'd you do it so quickly and she's like it's been 12 years it didn't happen overnight and guys it it almost never happens overnight It, it happens from showing up day in day out growing a little bit every time a little better than you were the day before uh, and I'm just so pumped for Josh and Christine. Great guests. Um, the only other thing uh, that I need to mention is the idea of just training yourself and investing in yourself before you open. They went to Zing Train. They surrounded themselves with the incredible people like Ari Weinswag, who just understand it. And then that book that they mentioned that I have to admit, I haven't got it yet, but I want to, uh, an anarchist approach approach to leading oneself i think that mentality that we can't lead anybody else until we have controlled and conquered ourselves so great stuff today guys i'm gonna be in chicago on may 19th moderating the foodable tv conference uh can't wait so pumped do get your tickets if you want to meet me or just let me know if you're gonna be in chicago during that week i'll be in the city uh I don't know if I'll be at the trade show the entire time, but I'll be around and I want to meet you. So reach out to me, social media on Instagram and Snapchat, Eric Cacciatore, Facebook slash restaurants, unstoppable email, Eric at restaurants, and set up those one-on-one chats. I might not know your answer, but I definitely know somebody who does, and I will be happy to introduce you. And uh, I just like to know what I can do to make the show better. So please do reach out set up that one-on-one free chat i think that's it um what am i missing oh yeah i'm going mobile we're taking the show on the road so if you're out there uh if you're in an awesome food city and you want me to come to your town and interview some of the mentors in your community let me know i'm looking for a floor to put an air mattress on help me out all right that's it until next time peace out.